You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome everybody to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon. I'm a pastoral resident here at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined this week again by Ryan Chase and the Caleb Dernberger. I feel like you haven't been with us in a while, so it's good to it's good to have you. Uh, and we are going to be reiterating or kind of jumping back into walking through uh, the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. And this week, uh, last week or last time we did it, we looked at the um, the scriptures. This time we are going to be looking at the triune God. And I think we mentioned um, last time, you know, when, when crafting a statement or a confessional statement, in a sense, you are kind of putting together uh, a systematic theology, if you will. You're, you're systemizing in order to say, you know, the Bible's a really big book. In order to kind of collect all of its teachings, it requires some, you, you're going to condense it down. You're going to take what it says on a topic and boil it down into a statement. And so when, when, one, when ordering out these things, um, if you open up a bunch of systematic theology books, you'll find they probably vary on where they begin. Some begin with the doctrine of God himself, theology proper, and some begin with the doctrine of scriptures, of the scriptures. Um, and so, yeah, the statement, it's kind of a chicken or, or an egg situation where you could start either way. Um, and the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith, I think, I would probably lean towards started with scripture because the way that we know God directly, the way that we know him um, specifically, if you will, is through his special revelation. Yes, we know him through general revelation, um, through the heavens declaring the glories of God and through the created works, but we know him directly and especially through his special revelation, which gives, he's given us to us in his word through the scriptures. So now that we've done that, now we turn to, okay, what does that Bible, what does the scriptures say about this God? Um, and I, I would argue one of the trickiest things regarding what the Bible teaches about God is that the, God is a character in the story, and he's assumed, right? Mm-hmm. Right off the jump, it doesn't say, in the beginning, there was this God, and let us tell you about him. It just says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. He is assumed. He, he, he's there. And what, how we get to know him then through scripture is through an unfolding of a discussion of, or a, a stories of him and his acts. Hmm. Um, and, and that can make defining the character of God, um, I don't know, just <laughs> it's less explicit and more by implication. But yeah, of course, there's places where in the Bible where it's explicit about who God is. But I don't know. Does anybody else get that sense? I, I get yeah. that sense. And what, what he does and what he says, and you have mm-hmm. both of those right off the bat in mm-hmm. Genesis 1, that God is doing, he's acting. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, and God is speaking. Genesis 1 says, and God said, let there be light, and there yeah. was light. And so through his speech and his actions, we come to see what he's like, or you know, to say from God's perspective, God reveals himself to the world yeah. in that way. So that, 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 that's helpful. So as we dive in, um, we're under the heading in the statement of faith called the triune God, which already is making some statements, which we'll 
get to in a second. Uh, and we're going to look at these three subheadings. First, the nature of God. Second, the Holy Trinity. And then finally, the relations and actions of the Trinity. So we start with the nature of God. So here in more classical theological terms, we're talking about God's ontology, which, which really is just his essence, who he is apart from his works, mm-hmm. apart from his action in, in the sense of how he acts in the created world. So who is God? What is his nature? Um, and the heading of this whole thing, the triune God, already makes a statement. Um, this is different than Allah. This is different than other religions who might have a monotheism, a theism, even a monotheism, a one God. This, our God is triune. And I'll just read this first sentence from the statement. There is only one true and living God who is infinite in being, power, and perfections. He is eternal, independent, self-sufficient, having life in himself with no need for anyone or anything else. He is spirit transcendent and invisible, with no limitations or imperfections, immutable, and everywhere present with the fullness of his being. His knowledge is exhaustive, including all things actual and possible, so that nothing, past, present, or future, is hidden from his sight. God is not divided into parts, but his whole being includes all of his attributes. He is entirely holy, loving, wise, just, good, merciful, gracious, and truthful. Our God is the infinite fountain of being who created all things, and all things exist by him and for him. He is supremely powerful to perform all of his holy and perfect will, ruling over his creation with total dominion, righteousness, wisdom, and love. In his transcendence, God is incomprehensible in his being and actions, yet he reveals himself such that we can know him truly and personally. Amen. I know I was going to read just the first sentence, but <laughs> once you start, you just... <laughs> got to keep it, it It's really incredible, isn't it? And mm-hmm. um, I think what, if we were going to kind of capture, like a lot of things are being said there, and I, maybe we'll just start with this. I think what is being captured there and what we need to recognize when we come to thinking about the nature of God is that he is not like us. Mm-hmm. He is one of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that classic creator-creature distinction is in full on full display here. Sure, we have some attributes that we share with God by nature of being created in the image of God. Like, yes, we can be wise, we can be loving, but that's only because of what He is first. Mm-hmm. So, I think that that's the sense I read or I get when I read that is just the set apartness, the otherness. He's not just a bigger version of us; yeah. He is completely distinct. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's it's an incredibly rich and, and valuable subject to study, to reflect on, to meditate on who God is in his character and his attributes, his nature, his being, his essence, as you said. Um, because when you start to list out these attributes about God, you, you see how much he has revealed about himself, mm-hmm. both in creation and in through special revelation, through his word. Um, I, I think another crucial truth to understand when it comes to the nature and character of God is, is what we call the, the unity of God or, mm-hmm. or the simplicity of God, which means that God is all of these attributes all the time right. um, because there is a tendency to prioritize certain attributes of God or to think of God like, well, now God is acting loving or now here he's acting in his wrath right. uh, as though 
sometimes kind of like we do, we, we have mood swings um, <laughs> as though, you know, God's attributes were mood swings or kind of conditional in response to humanity. But um, the, the fact that God is all these things at once. Mm-hmm. So all of the attributes inform all of the other ones, right. you know, his, his love is perfectly wise and just and righteous and holy mm-hmm. and his wrath is also wise and just and holy and good. Um, so the simplicity of God just means God is all these things at once and all the attributes inform all the other ones. Mm-hmm. And the otherness described here, the other, that's why I just keep thinking of the otherness, the, the holiness really, the set-apartness yeah. of God really informs also our view of kind of our quote-unquote reformed view of God mm-hmm. in the sense of the, the bigness of God. Uh, there is going to be a... a an episode later, there's a whole section on the the sovereignty of God um, in his actions to us. But I think this, in, we have to start with, that's not just a, that comes from his character. It comes from who he is as a, as being a set apart. Of, um, he is one of one. The creator is not the creation. Um, he, he created everything. All things are dependent on him for life and for breath. He is upholding everything. He is sustaining everything. Um, so this kind of does away with, uh, you know, kind of Christian, if you will, evolutionary thought of the creation just came into being and God showed up and has been forming it. Um, or whether he started it and then let the processes go and then he's just kind of laid back. No, he is involved in his creation. He's upholding it and sustaining it. Um, another uh, kind of other theology that that this statement kind of obliterates is that that concept of open theism mm. that God is not really doesn't know what's going to come down the mm. line um, he's just kind of a character in the story with us in the sense that he's experiencing all this for the first like he, he's just as reactionary as the rest of us no yeah. this, this statement does away with any of that especially his knowledge is exhaustive including all things actual and possible so that nothing past present or future is hidden from his sight mm. um, it really and this makes it, I think this makes us uncomfortable to some extent of like the type of control God has, the type of, so I think of John Frame's uh, three-isms that he always, control, authority, and I forget the third one, but by his very nature, he has control of everything and has authority and right to rule everything. I think his lordship might be the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives us, makes us a little, it makes sense why we would come up with things like open theism or, or evolution to try and keep God at a distance because, but I don't think the Bible lets us do that. Yeah. Well, it, it pushes back on, I mean, when you read this, it's, it's humbling and also convicting and also uncomfortable because it pushes back on our fleshly instinct to, we like to use the term, contend for supremacy with God. Mm. You know, God is, he always has been, always will be. Nothing has been prescribed to him outside of himself. He says who he says he is who he is. He says who he says he is. And, um, and yet we like to, uh, by nature, <laughs> try to establish our own authority, our yeah. own control. And, and in that, when we're confronted with the only one triune God, we're confronted with our pride and our, I mean, again, we're undone by our set apart, the set apartness of God, because he is so unlike us. And, uh, it's a humbling thing to know. Yeah. When we try to work for control authority, there is only one that actually has true authority. Mm -hmm. And 
on one side of it, that's a good thing. For God's people, we can say yes and amen. We love that about God. On the other end of it, it's a frightening thing to, to come face to face with him and think, oh, wow, there is one that is so much greater than I ever could have imagined. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do not have control. It certainly makes sense of, or not makes sense of, but gives a little bit of in, information to the first sin where the serpent's lie to Eve out of, out of many lies he told her was the reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he doesn't want you to become like him. Because if you eat of it, you will become like him. Hmm. Um, which is just crazy, hmm. right? Like Adam and Eve are products of this God's creative action. Yeah. Making the entire universe, the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, this earth, plus this perfect garden, and then them and places them in it, mm. um, in the midst of it, and gives them every tree to eat from except for that one. And the lie the serpent tells her is, if you eat of that, you will become like him, yeah. which was never going to be true. <laughs> no yeah. matter, yes, by eating of it, all of a sudden, because of their disobedience, they become sinful, but th th there was never going to be possibility of them becoming yeah. like God. I, I think Wayne Grudem talks about... Um, God's transcendence and mm -hmm. like you said, his, his otherness, his set apartness, just the fact that God is different than us or um, the way sometimes we talk about the, the creator-creature distinction. It, draw um, Cornelius Van Til would, his students said he would always come into the classroom and on his chalkboard draw a big circle at the top and in that he'd write God and then an, another small circle underneath that and write creation, mm -hmm. um, you know, creator creature. The big line separated. There's a line, yeah, there, there are two different categories. And so God alone exists in that category of creator and everything else, including spiritual beings, angels and demons also exist in the created bucket. Right. Um, so there's a, a massive difference there. And, and Wayne Grudem, I think helpfully points out, we tend to think of God simply as kind of like a, a bigger maybe much bigger version of what we mm -hmm. are kind of mm -hmm. like an ice cube compared to a polar, you know, an iceberg yeah. out in the, the Arctic. Um, and so it's like, you know, we're a little bit of ice and God is a lot of that. Right. Yeah. Um, or we are like a match burning and God is like a, a raging forest fire, just kind of the same thing, but just bigger scale. And Grudem helpfully points out the difference between us and God is is not just a quantitative difference, mm -hmm. not just like God is more mm -hmm. of what we are, mm -hmm. but it's qualitatively, he is a completely different being right. than what we are. Yeah. And so while we can reflect some of his attributes, like we can know things, God knows things and mm -hmm. God loves, and he's given us the capacity to love. He is a completely different kind of being. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what Adam and Eve and through the serpent's lie failed to see. Like, no, it's not like, Oh, you know, God is just a little bit more than us, and we're pretty close. And if we could just scale up, we'd right. be, we'd get there. That no, there, there's no way you can cross that gap into the kind of being that God yeah. is. So, it, it, again, this analogy isn't perfect, but you think of qualitatively, there is a difference between like wax fruit in a bowl and real edible fruit off of right. a tree. Th that kind of qualitative difference, or think of the qualitative difference between a a statue hmm. of a man and a living right. man. Mm -hmm. like they, they might resemble, mm -hmm. the yep. statue resembles the living being. And in some, you know, God, we are made in the image of God. So we do, we're made to resemble God, right. but qualitatively there's a massive difference like between a living human and a statue of a human. Yeah. <laughs> different, mm -hmm. different things. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and that informs us of not just 
that helps us bridge that gap or to recognize there is a gap yeah. between who we are mm-hmm. and God. Like you say, he's not just a bigger version that's totally distinct. And that that's reminiscent of that line that Van Til would always line, draw. But he would also draw lines connecting because right. they, they interact. They're distinct, yeah. but God does interact with his right. creation. And so... Let, let's move Amen. on to the second one. How does he interact? We'll, we'll get to that. But the second category is the Holy Trinity. Now, again, if we were to just leave, if we were just to have that first section of the nature of God and listed it as exactly as it is, and then we were to go into read our Bibles, there is no Trinity. Is like you, I'm sure as everyone knows the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. However, God, um, I, I'm going to be careful here, shows up, which is which is. He shows up in three different ways and in three different persons. Um, and so we have to account for that. How, how is this God Trinitarian? Now, even the way I describe that, um, the, the reason why something, yeah, careful. Critical, yeah, something critical like the Holy Trinity uh, section, it, well, from the editor's distinction, this, this section sets forth basic Trinitarian orthodoxy and therefore precludes a number of historical errors. One of them I, I just described, God showing up in three different ways um, is a classic heresy called modalism, where God is the same person, just showed like, like an actor showing up on scene and then he goes back to Playing three different roles. Playing three different roles. Yeah. Um, or if he were to put on three different hats, like... Uh, here I am, I present myself as God the Father, I go backstage, yeah. now here I am as God the Which, Son. which is oftentimes used when people... Maybe people have heard a teaching on the Trinity where it's like, oh, look at, you know, here's one man and he is somebody's son right. and he's also somebody else's father and right. he's also somebody's husband. Right. And so one guy, three roles. And that would right. be a heretical view right. because it's not God is one person right. acting in three different capacities. So I'll just read it here. The one true God exists eternally as three persons. And that's a critical word. Persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, infinitely excellent and all-glorious. Each person is fully God, sharing the same deity, attributes, and essential nature, yet there is but one God. Each person is distinct, yet God is not, by this distinction, divided into three parts, natures, or gods. The Father has always existed as a Father, the unbegotten fountain of all life. The Son has always existed as the Son, eternally begotten of the Father, uncreated and without beginning of one essence with the Father. And the Holy Spirit has always existed as Spirit, eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son and of one essence with them. The Godhead thus exists in perfect unity, indivisible as to nature and substance, yet inseparably distinguished as persons who enjoy a fullness of fellowship and love. And that, those two categories are critical, that of persons and essence or substance. Mm-hmm. One substance, one essence, one nature, that of God, three persons. Mm-hmm. And all of the historical, count, the, the ecumenical councils that were called in the early, uh, early church history were dealing with people who were getting those things messed up. Yeah. So, so modalism, the one we were just describing, would say that there is um, one person and one essence just mm-hmm. showing up in history in three different ways. Another one would be uh, like Arianism, where you have God, really the Father is God, and then the Spirit and the Son are created beings. Yes, they are uh, you know, important beings, but they are created beings. Yeah. So if you have that chart of the 
creator-creature distinction, while Jesus and the Holy Spirit would go in the creation category. Right. Which the Bible just doesn't speak that way. Yeah. Jesus doesn't speak that way in John. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, is, this really is the distinctive that sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. Right. You hear people talk about, well, Islam, uh, Muslims and Christians, they, and, and Jews in Ju- Judaism, they're essentially worshiping the same God. No, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam, Allah, really is just one. He is true monotheism. Mm-hmm. Um, even in Judaism, the, the, the picture of the Old Testament Yahweh is just, in an essence, one. It's this Trinitarian community, if you will, of the Godhead that really is the distinguishing feature because it anchors, um, it really does anchor it all back into this community. God has always existed in community. He has always existed, um, it it speaks to his aseity, his self-sufficiency. He didn't need creation in order to express love, right? right? He's not dependent on creation to express his love because the Father has always loved the Son. He didn't need creation in order to have fellowship or anything else. He has always expressed that within himself in the Godhead, um, which sets him apart. And I would just, to clarify, um, when you're talking about comparing to Islam and Judaism, um, I I would not necessarily say that's true monotheism, as though we were not monotheistic. No, that's (laughs) where we believe there is one God. Well, hold on, that speaks to the to a, to an, another heresy of tritheism, right? Which so we're separates, not tritheists, right? We don't believe in three gods, which takes the three persons and sh- makes it so big. It, just, it three persons with three separate yeah. natures or essences, three different deities. Exactly. That's yeah. that's not what we believe. Yeah. So so I think the, the three truths of Trinitarian orthodoxy. You know, we begin with um, there is one God. <laughs> Um, that, that's one of those truths. So we are monotheists in that sense. God exists as three persons, mm. and each of those persons is fully God. Not fully three different gods or three different deities, but that same God. So right. the one God exists in three persons, which is why you, you started with, we, we have to have those two categories of persons and essence. Yeah. God is one in essence, three in persons. And it does help because... I think the question comes up, is that a logical contradiction? I mean, one of the most basic laws of logic is the law of non-contradiction. A cannot be A and non-A at the same time and in the same way. So you you can't be in the room and not in the room in the same time and in the same way. Um, And and we would say, no, it's it's not a violation of the law of non-contradiction to say God is three and God is one. sounds like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths because we're saying God is three in a different way than God is one. God is one in essence and three in persons. So that distinction, I I think, is is helpful. It's not like there's a way to explain it where suddenly we all just go, oh, I I get the Trinity. It all (laughs) makes sense. There there is a degree of mystery mystery and... Mm infinite glory in yeah. this. Um, and I find comfort just in reminding and uh, remembering um, a God who just fit in my own understanding would not be a God worthy of That's worship right. and trust. I mean, a God that I could invent and perfectly capture within my finite. Right. I mean, there, there are other subjects on earth that are way beyond our capacity. Think of the most complex, you know, thermodynamics and engineering and chemistry and you know 
things there that people spend an entire lifetime studying and they don't fully master. So why would we think when it comes to God, right. he should just fit neatly in our, our brains? But we can understand parts of this that he's, he's revealed to himself yes. or to us mm-hmm. about that, himself. That really is key. And, yeah. and it's helpful. It, it, it brings me some comfort in the sense of the, the great councils that were called in the early church. Um, kind of all, especially when it talks about the Trinity, really kind of speaks to, uh, in negation, who, who God is, but then also who he's not in the sense of mm-hmm. people the, addressing the heresies of the day. Here's who he isn't. Um, so yeah. yes, mystery is a category and, and we have to keep that in mind. Finally, let's move to this third one. Um, and I think this one speaks well to us. The relation- can, can I just make a, a point about the Trinity? I, I think Please. applicationally, because mm-hmm. that can feel very disconnected or abstract, but the implications of that are massive, and you kind of hinted at this, in comparison to Judaism and right. Islam. In, in those views, you have this solitary being who exists alone and then has no relationship. So there is no communication, there's no love, there's no relationship, there's no... Mm-hmm anything until that being creates and and then the only communication is between that being and created beings but in the the view of you know christianity the triune god like you said communication has existed forever love Mm -hmm. has existed forever Mm -hmm. unity has existed Mm -hmm. forever these things are central to god otherwise god it would be impossible in those other views to say god is love until he creates some being right whom he can love. Yeah, love requires a direct object. Right. Yeah. So f- for the Christian God, the God of the Bible, God has always been all of these things because he's always been speaking, communicating, loving within the Trinity. Right. And, and then I, I think that just, we could go on and on about the implications of that for our lives, but it, it is the ground of logic, reason, morality. morality ethics, yeah. Mm-hmm. All of these things are anchored in God, not becoming something. Right at some point when he created, but having always been this, and then out of the fullness of who he is, he created, not because he needed us, but because he's overflowing right. with his goodness. And not arbitrary, right. not just because he says so, right? Not just pulls out of nowhere, but rather anchored in his yeah, character. Yeah, this is who he is. Mm-hmm. Finally, and we're running out of time, the, the relations and actions of the Trinity. So we've been describing the ontology, if you will, the essence, the, the God, Godhead in itself. Now... Uh, we, we look at the economy or the ad extra, if you will, if you want the Latin, uh, talking about God as he acts in his actions into the world and how the persons of the Trinity relate. So I'll just read this first sentence. The persons of the Trinity, being one in nature, are also inseparably united in their external works, such that to deal with one person is to deal with the Trinity as a whole. That might be a category we're not super familiar with. Um, God is always acting as a unit, mm. as him, mm-hmm. <laughs> as God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Yes, they have distinct roles. They have their distinct persons acting with distinct roles. But t- like this sentence says, well, to deal with one person is to deal with the Trinity as a whole. Yeah. Um, there are no, the, the persons are not rogue doing yeah. their own thing. They, they act, he acts together. Yeah. As one God. Hmm. Yeah. Like if you're at the store and you don't like the service you're getting from one person and you want to speak to the manager, hoping that maybe <laughs> you're going to get a different response. Mom or something. said, no, I'm going to go talk to dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
when Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Right. I don't do anything except for what I see my Father doing. Um, or he can say, when, when the disciples say, show us the Father, he can say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Um, to deal with one person is to deal with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and this, this is why we'll, we'll take less time here because it's fleshed out later in, the, in his works of providence and redemption and creation. Um, this sentence works well. In the works of creation, providence, and redemption, the persons fulfill roles consistent with their e- eternal relations. The Father originates, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit completes. And I think that's seen most clearly in our salvation. Yes. Um, the Father, the one who is the architect, the planner, the one who is the source of all things, the one who is the prime, if you will, the Son is sent from the Father to go mm-hmm. die a death for us, to secure for us our salvation. And now we are united to Christ. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we are united. We have fellowship with the Father. Those words are all yeah. important. And that is secured and sustained and completed and guaranteed by the Spirit. If, if you want to discourse this on this, of what does that look like? How does the Trinity function in your salvation? Read Ephesians 1. Um, Paul, in one sentence in the Greek, just lets fly how the Trinity relates and acts on the behalf of you Mm -hmm. um, to save you. The Father sending his Son to die for you, united to him now by the power of the Spirit. You are reconciled to God the Father and Mm -hmm. now have fellowship with him. Um, That is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's probably where where we'll end on who God is and what he does. Um, and we're just scratching the surface. Yes. Uh, mm. A statement like this cannot deal in the depth that we would want, but yet is cl- this, I think this statement is just so well-written, so clear, and so it's a, it's, a fl- it's a flag in the ground. Here's where we stand. Here's who we believe God is, um, which is for our good and for our protection as churches, as pastors, as, as congregants. Um, so I hope even thinking on something as mysterious and kind of mind-bending as Trinitarian theology and the theology of God would edify your soul. Um, mm-hmm. And as we think on it, just because it's hard does not mean we shouldn't think on it. So think on it, meditate on it, pray on it. Um, read Ephesians 1, read Colossians 1, um, read, these, read the Bible and see the God mm-hmm. that we all love and worship. Mm-hmm. Amen. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.